Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. MJ Network will bring you there. This is Book Talk, as brought to you by MJ Network, in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. And I am so excited. We have Gary Braver here, Rumor of Evil. If you haven't read it, I don't know what you're waiting for. A 16-year-old <laughs> exchange student accused of witchcraft. <laughs> this is not unusual. Dark circumstances and sick rumors lead her to a brutal death, a cover-up, and more murders two decades later. Where do you find out what happens? Good morning, and welcome to MJ Network. <laughs> Thank you, Fran. It's great to be with you again. Well, this is this is great. The first scene of the book really got me. How did you create that first scene, especially the way you staged the events? I read it so many times, I felt like it was my neck going out. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I the scene is a woman hanging from her neck in the backyard yeah. of, a, of a beautiful yeah. Cambridge home just outside of Harvard Square. And it, it's such a startling scene that occurred to me. I mean, there are people who commit suicide all the time by, by tying a, a noose around their neck. But this was so bizarre because it's a, an august home with a very famous backyard and the, perhaps the most prestigious male zone in eastern Massachusetts, 02138, right out of Harvard Square. And um, I imagined this would be a um, a deception that she's really really not a suicide victim, but in fact it's been staged by a murderer. And mm. so I just imagined her. Uh, how would you dress for your own suicide? And I had her dress up, and that leads the question: Did she? Is this how she wanted to be remembered when she went out, or? what she really dressed for a luncheon with some friends. And so that was the, that was the, um, the contradiction that I think almost every mystery novel begins with. Some things don't mm. quite compute, and that is what it was, yeah. This is really good. I must have read thousands of murder mysteries, seriously. <laughs> and I've never, attempt, I've never attempted to write one because sometimes mm-hmm. there are real people who like to put in the course story, and you can't do that either. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so we have Kirk and we have his new partner uh, Mandy. And how do how do they get they get involved in a, in this scene? And then who else is involved? But how does a cop or a detective when they go to a crime scene? How do they really feel about that? That must be really gruesome and hard to deal it with. Is. Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose cops compartmentalize the way soldiers, you know, successfully compartmentalize without, you know, losing yeah. their minds or getting post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, and, I mean, you, you do kind of separate yourself. And, and looking at a dead body for a police officer, yeah. particularly detective, is like looking at a specimen and you're hoping 
to bring justice to that specimen, that body, that, that body that used to be a living human being, bring justice to them and, and solve the crime, put together the clues and deductive logic and nab the, the villain at the end. So I think they do make that separation. Uh, in part of the research for the book, I talked to police officers, homicide, homicide detectives, and I said, how do, you, how do you sit down with your family at night with your, your wife or husband with two kids and yeah. not just think about shooting yourself? And he said, well, we go through psychological counseling every six months or so. So, um, so that kind of helped in giving, getting me a sense of how they react to seeing somebody hanging themselves or, or murdered. You know, I was just listening to the news before, and it's it's amazing. So many police officers are getting accused of shooting people by accident or for real or rage or stuff, and it doesn't make them look too great. And yet I know that basically most of 99% of them don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to solve the case, and it's it's scary. But I watch all, all those programs. So who is the, the – well, we know Sylvie's the victim. So who tell us about her, and who did they question and why? Well, the first person they would question is the person who was a landscaper. He was the one who yeah. discovered the body. He saw her hanging from the tree. And it's only a few weeks before Halloween, so his first reaction was this was some kind of bizarre Halloween setup. And then as he gets closer, he realizes it's the, the woman who owns the house, and he's been cutting her lawn for years. And he just panics. It's a hideous scene, horrified. And he dials 911, and the responding officers... Um, I think the first first thing they think of is this is a suicide. And when um, Kirk and Mandy show up, mm. they smell a rat. They just look safe. And then they decide this is a crime scene. Everyone get out of here and watch who you're walking. So um, that's how that gets set up. And they dismiss the, the lawn guy. He knows nothing. He's just shaken and he discovered it and he's dismissed. That's, that's scary. That is scary. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, I watch these lovely programs, you know, New York Murder, um, Dateline, Dateline Uncovered, Dateline Secrets, and sometimes they have, like yesterday, they had a program that they, they were positive that it was a suicide, but it wasn't. A husband killed her. And yeah, it right. was it was it was so sad. So they question all these people. So go then you decided to do something really unique. You go back 19 years and we meet and hear the voice of Morgan. And tell us yes. about her friends and three friends, and which include Riley, Krista, and the the victim. Right. Good. So I, I, first of all, I'm impressed that you read it so closely. Okay. So the backstory is narrated in first person by Morgan. Yeah. She and uh, her friends had befriended a 16-year-old Eastern European Romani student to come and live in Morgan's house mm. with her family for four months and then learn the ways of American kids and exchange her own cultural um, uh, and, and mm. information about her own culture with, with them. And, um, you know, everything is going well. She is, um, they have fun Americanizing her. They uh, they get rid of the kind of side braid that is, you know, in, emblematic of Eastern European girls. And she has hand-me-down clothes. I mean, she is from a, from a pig farm in rural Slovakia. And so they, you know, they bring her to the mall and get her new clothes. And um, she's very charming, very smart, and very pretty. And she speaks with an accent, so that's kind of cool. So while they're Americanizing her, um, they uh, they get very close, and all four of the girls 
uh, like Kerb, and then things need to turn dark. Um, and at a pizza party, uh, one of the boys walks up to her, a boy that she has a, something of a, a, a hidden crush on. She said, well, you're not mm. slaughtering pigs back in Slovakia. What do you do for fun? And she said, I read palms. And she's of Romany extraction and, you know, the derogatory term gypsy. And you think about storefront, you know, fortune tellers. Mm-hmm. So they, all the kids bring their palms to her and, and she reads them and then freezes with one young woman. Uh, I can't go on anymore, she says, and she uh, asks yeah. to take it back to the, the host home down the road in Lexington. So and then strange things begin to happen. Um, there are dark circumstances. Some of the kids or the kids' families, bad things start happening. And that's when the rumors begin to fly, rumors as in the title of the book, Rumor of Evil. Um, you know, uh, isn't she really a gypsy? Romany people, aren't they gypsies? And uh, don't they put curses on people? And in the olden times, didn't they start the, the Black Plague, bubonic Plague? And didn't they created Satan? And aren't they really witches in disguise? So that gave me an opportunity to exploit a teenage conspiracy mind and exploit the damning myths of, uh, and damning and dangerous myths of Romani people who are considered gypsies and, you know, holding and, and witches. Mm. So then she, um, on Halloween night, she loved sleeping out in the treehouse in the backyard of this Lexington family's home. And, and on Halloween night, she does the same thing. She's sleeping out there, and it, uh, the treehouse catches on fire, and she is killed. And that connects to the present-day scene of that woman hanging in her backyard in Cambridge, which to the police looks like it was murdered. Well, they and didn't like her to. Yeah. They didn't like her was to that? start with, and yeah, Morgan sort of said, "You know, get out of here." But that, that's scary. Yeah. So these yeah. teenage yeah. girls are typical of teenage mm-hmm. girls today. Unfortunately, they're just mm-hmm. so catty and nasty. And if you don't wear the right clothes, I know I grew up like that. Um, sure. yeah. People look at you like, oh my God, how come you're not yeah. wearing what everybody else is? Because I don't want to. Because I was, sure. I'm, I'm yeah. 103 pounds. I'm 103 pounds. I was like 200 then. And like, you know, oh, you eat oh. yourself into oblivion when you get aggravated. So what were they sure. into? These not the nicest girls in the world. And they were really right. cruel, all four of them. Mm. And then yeah. Morgan's parents wanted Vandima there. Why? Well, I mean, the. I had to give each of the girls and even yeah. her two parents motives for wanting to set this treehouse yeah. fire with, with Lulu in it. Um, and so I had to have different motives that made sense, that are logical, to keep the readers reading and, and throw in enough red herring so they really don't know which of these six people, the four girls and, her, and Morgan's parents, might have torched Lulu while she was sleeping in the treehouse. Um, they start off kind of friendly and believe this is the, they're encouraging world peace by getting to meet a girl from Eastern Europe. However, some of them are prejudiced. Um, some of them don't like foreigners. And, and one girl's mm-hmm. parents, you know, she was opposed to immigrants coming into the country. Others are jealous because she's very pretty and very smart, and some of their boys are looking at her. Um, another one suspects that something has happened between Lulu and an, a, an adult male. So each each of the kids has 
her own mm. reason uh, for resenting her and ostracizing her. And, and I made her, I made her a Romany, or you know, derogatorily known as Gypsy, because if you've ever been to Greece or or, or Croatia or even Italy, you'll see Gypsies. They're in caravans and covered wagons, and they're ostracized. They're not part of the of the culture or societies. Mm. They end up they're itinerant people, and so the worst thing that happens to a gypsy is being ostracized, being left out, being you know um, being an other. So that's the worst thing when they when they begin to turn against her and reject her, and then she is murdered. Yeah, it's scary. Well, I haven't been to Manhattan for a while, but I just saw such people there. And one lady mm-hmm. w- walked over to me one day. Yeah, she was a fortune teller, and she looked at me. She says, "Everything will be okay." I had no idea who she was. Uh, I said, "But I'll take, I'll take yeah. that, whatever you mean." It's scary. Yeah. So yeah, sure, what, sure, yeah. When you see Vandima, though, even though she, you get like an uneasy feeling, and at first mm-hmm. she's accepted and made part of the group. But she would rather yes. draw pictures of the people in the yes. group. Why? She she sort of right. alienated herself, and maybe that was a better idea. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I have a friend who's from Eastern Europe, and she never uses a camera. She always draws draws pictures of the scenes or people. So that gave me mm. the idea uh, that Fatima is not up with high technology, and she much rather used her 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 drawing artistic talent to draw pictures. And what she does is draw pictures of some of the girls in their homes and give them as gifts uh, to mm. the girls or to the girls' parents. So she's, she's reaching out to be to connect with American kids in the way she does best using her talent. Um, and, and so that separates her, but willfully separates her, and makes her a little different. Uh, and uh, that being different, being attractive and smart, is kind of a threat, particularly if she's uh, talented that way. So that's what I, how I, lace that into her her character. Yeah. That's that's scary. I know, but you know, people just are prejudiced in general, and then they look at oh, you, sure. and if you are not exactly like they are, they assume something evil. So this yeah. just yeah. got me, and this made yeah. sense. If we're going to talk about whatever, who is Gigi and who is Justine, and then she reads her okay. palm, and I go. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, Justine is the girlfriend of Gigi. Gigi Gallagher is a very studious, a very religious boy who can quote the Bible. He's a, a, a Christian Catholic, and he can quote the Bible. And so he's very – I made him kind of a spiritual person who um, – would have gone to medical school, but he ended up going to a seminary instead. So, um, and he, his girlfriend dies mysteriously, and all the kids are blaming Lulu for all the strange things that are going on. Mm. And so he wonders if she had something to do with his girlfriend Justine's death. And that sets him against her because he, too, of that, of that adolescent mindset, conspiracy theory of believing in the supernatural witches have powers of, of cursing and putting hexes on people. So that, that gives him a motive uh, so what, uh, for, for eventually somebody setting fire to, to Lulu in the treehouse, and he might be one of them too. Yeah. 
That is scary. And he also, he also becomes a, a monk uh, when he's an adult. He never goes to, to medical school. He becomes a monk. So that makes him holy and pious and all that. <laughs> yeah, they think. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, right, it's scary. Right. I know. It's just because people in certain vocations, like priests or um, rabbis or something, and they automatically sure. believe that they're, you know, holier than whenever. You got to look past everything, because sometimes you don't even know. So, right. Precisely, precisely. what happens in a school that changes it all, and why take a life? And where did well, Vadima is? They think she's a witch, and you begin to wonder sometimes about her. Yes. Right. Right. I did not add a supernatural element to the book. I added a lot of the tropes and myths of witchcraft. That really, Fran, connects to 1692 um, here in Boston as well as in Salem, Massachusetts. I mean, it was, I mean, 19 people were executed, 18 by hanging, and one man was pressed to death with stones on the Boston Common. All believed that uh, these were witches that were often triggered by adolescent, hysterical teenagers who at once, I, I, I wrote another book called The Stone Circle, and I had some scenes from 1692, so I read the transcript of the Salem witch trials, and one 13- or 14-year-old girl looked out and saw the next-door neighbor female holding either a puppy or a cat or maybe even a baby who was uh, um, maybe microcephalic, and she claimed she saw this woman suckling the imp of Satan. And, you know, mm. uh, so what a leap in logic, you know. <laughs> um, so this connects that same kind of conspiratorial adolescent mindset uh, to the 17th century. And, of course, the 50,000 witches who were put to the stake in Europe over over two, two or three centuries before that. Yeah. So, sometimes it's just guilt yeah. by association, too. Even though the person's yeah. really not, yeah, I I, yeah, I know yeah. I've seen it. I mean, after after teaching for a thousand years, <laughs> um, yeah, kids yeah. can be kids that. can be really mean, and uh, they could say me they didn't do it to me because they knew better, and they didn't do it yeah. to each other because they definitely knew better. But they, you know, they get into a crowd or they get into a lunchroom to go outside, and name calling mm-hmm. is is normal. It still yeah. is, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So why did Krista, hmm, the four girls, I don't know. I wasn't crazy about any four of them. Why does Krista <laughs> analyze her? Yeah, teenagers are mean. Why does Krista analyze her as a witch? And what about the other girls um, in the school who are friends with it? Yeah, uh, I, I think Krista I made the least suspecting of something supernatural. Yeah. She's not as re- religious as the other girls who leap on the witch, uh, um, witch myth. Um, she is, she, as an adult, she is not particularly religious, and she said she never really bought into the witchcraft stuff, but she still had been influenced way back when she was 16 years old to believe that maybe they were dealing with stuff like that. You know, one of the... Um, like any crime novelist, I have a file of true crimes that fascinate me or bizarre, and and one of them is stuck in my mind from from uh, 2014, where in Waukesha, Wisconsin, 
two 12-year-old girls lured another 12-year-old girl into the woods and stabbed her 19 times in oh, the God. belief. Yeah, it was called the Slender Man case. Yeah, in the belief that um, a faceless internet cartoon character called Slender Man would have killed mm-hmm. their family if they did not sacrifice their girlfriend. Now, that's absolutely nuts, uh, but that's a 12-year-old kind of mind uh, of believing in some supernatural cartoon character. That I kind of use in this book. And, and also, the same thing there, they picked on a girl who was a victim. She was different. She, uh, I think she had a, spoke uh, with a list. And so they, be, they were the bullies, and she was the bully. And so that gave me the paradigm in this novel. You get these four affluent girls in Lexington, Massachusetts. They become kind of bullies, pick on, mock Lulu, and Lulu is the outsider from Slovakia, you know, gypsy, maybe witch, and she is the victim. So I was drawing from the Slenderman case, which introduced me to bullies and the bullied. Yeah. It's scary because parents today are not aware if you listen to the news, and then they start screaming yeah. afterwards. And as an educator, um, you have to be more aware of this now, even more than when I taught, which wasn't that long ago. And if yeah, I yeah. suspected, um, I, I must have had that kind of a face or whatever. Well, I was sort of like the assistant to the assistant principal, so they didn't want to rat mm-hmm. anybody yeah. out to him. They ratted them out to me, and they would say, uh, so-and-so threatened me, or so-and-so's mother threatened me. And we did have an incident like that where a parent came into a second-grade class and tried to beat the crap out of a second-grader because her daughter told her that he didn't like, she didn't like her. And Miss yeah. Yeah, Crazy over here, with, I ran in and I grabbed the child that got hurt and ran as fast as I could, and yeah. we got away. And they got the mother, yeah. they arrested her, but we had a get somebody to, that had a black belt to take her down. I mean, these things, oh, they goodness. do happen. Wow. Hey, a friend, you got a book in that. <laughs> the basis of a book. I, I got a lot of that. Yeah, my principal, yeah. I, I miss her, said, you're out of your mind. I said, I wasn't thinking about my safety. I was thinking about picking up a chair and hitting her over the head and then grabbing yeah. the girl. And the mother of the little girl looked at me. She said, I can't believe you did that. I said, I'm five feet tall. And I was, you know, a little yeah. heavier back then, but not anymore. And she, I said, all I could yeah, think yeah. about is that they were, she was going to hurt my precious little angel. I didn't think of You don't think yeah, about right. it. You just do it. I know. Like, I could have more than a book yeah. here in my school. So, yeah. you have curve. Yeah, the mo- mother, mother's instinct or, you know, it's a basic instinct. Help, I think help I was like, t- I don't even sure. know how old I was. Not that old. So, you go into the present. And Kirk, the, the uh, detective, realizes that Sylvie was killed. So how do they yeah. proceed, and who do they interview? And then we'll talk about somebody else. Yeah, oh, that's, right. The, 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 after interviewing the, the landscaper, the, as I said in the book, the hardest part of being a cop is going to the family and saying your loved one was found yeah. dead uh, and then murdered. So they, they go to the sister who lives in another town, and she becomes hysterical and can't believe it and feels bad that she never saw the signs of her committing suicide. And then they go to other people, and they realize after the autopsy, she did not die by hanging. She was strangled by somebody. So then you go back to the family and say, "Uh uh-oh, do you know anyone who would have harmed her? 
and then you it, it you go through the steps of people who are close to her, where she had worked, mm-hmm. um, anyone, you know, and so it, it, it's a process of putting together clues and hoping you put some logical, uh, get some logical connections that point to a perpetrator. But a third of the way through the book, they, they realize we're not getting anywhere until they're connected by the, the detective who showed up that night, 19, that Halloween night, 19 years ago, who had gone mm-hmm. to the scene where, where Lulu was, was killed in the fire, and said, this is not an accident, this is not suicide, this is a very smart girl who has lived, loved to sleep outside back in Slovakia, always had a kerosene lantern, always turned it off, the wind didn't knock it over while it was burning, this is Mm. neither suicide, this is neither an accident, somebody torched her. But because she is ill, the detective... She turned that cold case over to Kirk and Mandy. And so now they say, we've got to figure out who killed this girl 19 years ago because that might connect to a cover-up that led to the two murders. We've got, you know, the, the suicide uh, in Cambridge and then one later on uh, before anyone else gets killed. So that is the connection between the past and the present. And the past resents the present, too. That's even worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I exactly. got this, people. <laughs> so we have yeah, right. Olivia, and that's Kirk's ex-wife or whatever. Correct. And Correct. yeah, she uh, tell us about his odd relationship with her, and it's like he can't get away from her, and yet yeah. she he has no choice. Yet they remain a kind of strange relationship. How did you create that? I thought that was okay, really cool. So, thank you, thank you. Uh, I needed to give. Kirk's baggage. He is the he is a point of view character through most of the book, except for eleven or twelve chapters that are first person through Morgan. Mm. He is the anchor. He is the anchor point of view character, and you have to give and he has to he has to be someone with the most to lose, so that you endear the reader to him and create a kind of empathy. So the baggage I gave him is that eighteen months or so before the story starts, his and Olivia's daughter is killed in a hit-and-run accident, uh, which will never be solved in the series. Hit-and-run accident, and it sent them both into deep depression. He more so mm. because he suffered the guilt that he's supposed to be a protector and couldn't even protect his own 14-year-old daughter. So mm. they break up, and I, I know of families who've lost children. The marriages often fall apart. The statistics are very high of marriages falling apart after a child dies. So he wants to get mm-hmm. her back. I mean, his his prime public quest is solving the, the mystery of who left Sylvie's body in the opening scene. And the personal quest, I want to get back to this woman I adore. Now they've been dating since college, and they've been married since they got out of college, so she's never dated anyone else. So she's now stepping out, and that twists his tail. And so that adds to the, uh, to the possibility he may not get her back. So... Um, so their, their relationship is still friendly, but she wants to live apart. He wants them to get back under the same roof. Mm. So that is his particular baggage. Yeah. That's, that's scary, but it's so true to life, though. It's so very oh, true to life. It is absolutely true love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he just, you know, he's even thinking about suicide himself. If 
Olivia doesn't come back to him because all he's got is to, the, the mean street solving murder for the rest of his life, and, and that he needs some civilizing touch of somebody he loves. Yeah, so, yeah. Then I should have told him what my father said. When the situation's over, move ahead, don't go backwards, because you're treading over used road and trampled feet. You go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that. Good line. I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, he said that. But your situation, just don't go backwards. And my mother would, and if I went on a date and I didn't like the person, my mother made me write a letter as to why I didn't like him. I go, maybe it's because I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So, yeah. Who, That's who interesting. Who is, who is, objectif- objectify your answers. That's interesting. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. You never know what's going to come out of me lately, they said. So who is Rizzo? Yeah, right. And why do we get the chills when we near when we're near him? I didn't like him at all. Ooh. Yeah, well, he's, he's very slick. He's very uh, smooth. Um, he's very good looking. Uh, he's got a, a seemingly successful contracting business and fixing up rooms and and, and homes. Um, and he has he, he built a skylight in uh, Libya and Kirk's bedroom. But he seems to have mm. got a, a sweet spot for her. Um, he's also uh, he's also cheated on his former wife, and she mm. tells uh, tells Kirk now this guy is a, a serial adulterer, and so that turns Kirk off of him, and um, and and so he's he's concerned that uh, this guy Rizzo is using Olivia, um, putting notches on his gun, and 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 that he'll drop her fast. And wounded again um, so he, he has bad feelings about this guy and that's in part of his protective self um, mm. he does not stalk her but he follows him around to see if he's uh, what he's up to and realize this guy is, is not a good alternative to himself dating his wife so in the past and this is so true sometimes for some reason you just meet somebody and you hate them, but you don't know why. And yeah, sometimes right. you just don't want to give them a chance. And in this case, I think Morgan, in her own way, was sort of jealous of the fact that her parents were treating Vadima, and she felt like maybe I belong in the door, in the in the uh, treehouse too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So in the past, yeah, yeah. how and when do they decide to turn on Vadima, and why does Morgan? She threw a fit. She wants her to leave, and in the middle of the night, they put the guard out, and then something ha- about her and her father. And, oh, my God, I said, yeah, no wonder yeah. she she doesn't yeah, like yeah. her. And you don't know who to believe. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's Yeah, um, I don't want to give too much away, but there is, um, yeah. there is a suspicion that uh, Morgan's father has sexual interest in Zadima, who is, yeah. like I said, very attractive, very sweet, and very bright, um, and very attractive in so many ways. She's a very charming a young woman, uh, and that maybe this guy took advantage of her, that Morgan's father took advantage of her. So, uh, and you don't know whom to believe. Um, uh, there's denial on both sides. And so um, it, 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 it creates a dilemma for Morgan, and it creates an even greater dilemma for Vadima, who wants to stay for the four months in America, but fears that the word gets out um, and it were true, she'll get sent back to Slovakia prematurely, and she doesn't want that. 
that, that's scary. Plus the fact that yeah. the father was a horrible person, and he mm-hmm. sort of threatened her if she didn't do what he said. Correct. And that, that's Correct. what's really yeah. scary. So yeah. Yeah. then yeah. their favorite thing seemed to be in this book to burn things in effigy, including people. So when did they realize that they caused somebody caused Justine's death, and it wasn't because of Lulu and, and her fortune? Yeah. Um, there is a suspicion that uh, Lulu may have fallen to a far deeper sleep in that treehouse yeah. that Halloween night, and that maybe she had had too much vodka nips, but the kids were having a, had a little bonfire in the backyard before they all went, went home to bed and she went up into the mm. treehouse. Or maybe they're passing around uh, a dope or, or uh, marijuana. Uh, or maybe worse, somebody slipped her something. And that, uh, that, that caused her to go into a deep sleep. And when the fire spread, she was too deeply asleep to take notice and jump out of the treehouse. So there is the, the possibility of poisoning. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't want to give any more away, but that was kind of no, a, fun, a fun elementary to work with in the book. <laughs> well, if they read the end of the book, they're going to go like, what? So, yeah, right. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> so Richard in the present tells us what happened about Halloween night and what happens to Vadima and how is it handled? Because I, I wasn't crazy about her, but I could understand where she was coming from because she was persecuted oh, yeah. for no reason just because of what yeah. they think she was or maybe because yeah. she's prettier than the rest of them. Yeah, uh, there, there are all sorts of reasons and motives. Um, you know, a, a, a bad person, a real bad person, does not get up in the morning and look in the morning mirror and say, that's the face of evil. I think a really mm. bad person has sweet-smelling reasons why he or she justifies uh, what mm-hmm. they do that is perceived as, as bad. You know, I was deprived or I had lousy parents. I was, I was beaten up. Or I would I've been at odds with the neighbors, at odds with the police, at odds with the socioeconomic status of my neighborhood, at odds with greater society, at odds with with with, uh, with nature. I mean, they have this disability. Mm. So there's always a reason for getting back for revenge, and or going after someone who has got more than you have. So that is that was the guiding principle of giving each of these four adolescents and some adults reason for going after Vatima in that treehouse. That, that is scary. I know. And then we hear Morgan's voice. And when do we realize yeah. that there's something that we can't put our finger on with, with Morgan? Mm-hmm. And how does she justify her actions? She seems well, to feel that Morgan... everything she does is right. <laughs> Yes, of course, and and I think most people do. Uh, just as I said yeah. about the real villains, I think that what they do, they think they're doing something uh, that is right and maybe even righteous. So Morgan sounds out friendly. She loves having Vadim in the house because it's like having a sister she never had, and her brother is ten years old and he doesn't even even bother with teenage girl stuff. So and, and everything is fun, particularly Americanizing. You're introducing her to hot dogs and. Mexican food and backyard barbecue, and it's 19 years ago. They take her to a Pearl Jam concert. 
it were today, they'd bring her to a Taylor Swift concert. So it's, it's fun. They get her cool clothes and give her a cool nickname, Lulu. So everything starts off nicely. And, and, and Lulu helps, um, helps Morgan with her homework because she knows math and science better than Morgan does. And so they're, they're working out well together. And, and she gives her pictures that she has drawn of her and does her laundry, mm. that kind of stuff. And then when things turn dark um, and Morgan feels personally threatened by her for a variety of reasons, then she turns against her and buys all the damning scapegoating myths of outsiders and witches and, you know, all that, that stuff I had talked about earlier. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the scary. So cold case. Yeah, yeah, it is scary. It is scary. And I hope the readers well, have the same kind of reaction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, let me tell you, um, I've, I've gone to different places, and if I go into the bakery or if I go here, as a matter of fact, um, I give my books away to my neighbors mm-hmm. and to the UPS I guy, for real. Uh, yeah, this one's going to um, Mary on the sixth floor. She wants this one, too, because this is her That's son's great. kind of book. They, they, I, mm-hmm. I, I had like I met a lady in the elevator yesterday, and she says, "I heard you. Do you have any books? I put ten outside." She says, "She loves me forever." And of course, I threw a couple <laughs> of my own in. But what the heck? So before right. I forget, well, next Tuesday, where I get to show off my own special skills, we're going to talk good. about with my professor from college. Believe it or not, uh, Dr. Joy oh, Cavuto and I are going to take on. The second half of the science of reading, which is the new uh, program that schools have turned, you know, uh, signed on to, and they might want to think twice about it. So we're going to talk about um, fluency, vocabulary, word recognition, and comprehension, mm-hmm. which is my field. And I've done some research, and if people go back yeah. to the right way to teach reading, kids might actually learn because I'm really good at that. Okay, I when bet we you have, are. Yeah. Yeah, I I had such a blast. On the 6th, we're going to talk about Girl on Trial, about drug abuse. On the 8th, New York Times author Philip Margolin with Betrayal. I'm so excited. On the 9th, Mary Kalika with Deadly Tides. And Mm -hmm. on the 20th, Fast Track with John Dukakis. And there's a whole bunch more Mm -hmm. in between. And in December... Vincent Zandri is coming back on with who knows what because he didn't send it to me yet. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just find never so know. Much time to read. <laughs> yeah, and if anybody um, has a book coming out, talk to me in February because January just got filled. For real. <laughs> what can I say? So, how did right, Sylvie's right. murder in the past link to the present? Well, uh, actually, Sil- Sylvie's murder in the present leads to the past. Yeah. I mean, Sylvie's murder is uh, yeah, in the present, she's an yeah. adult now. Yeah, she's an adult now, but she was one of the kids way back who befriended, allegedly befriended, uh, uh, and, and And Sylvie's, Sylvie's parents, um, no, actually, no, that's just, it's Riley's parents who were anti-immigrants, but Sylvie's death, confirmed the suspicion by the autopsy um, suggests this is a cover-up. There is a cover-up. And then eventually when they learn about, when the detectives learn about the murder of Vatima, um, they say, 
they find out that Vadima was friends with Sylvie and Morgan and Krista and, and mm-hmm. others. And, and it looks like there is something connected here, that the past torching of that treehouse with Vadim in it is connected to the kids who were there as, at the time and who are now grown-up adults, beginning with Sylvie, who was found hanging in her backyard. And, and it's a murder stage as, as um, taking her own life. So that's now the how did you How did you create the funeral scene? And why did Vadim's brother create a scene? And I could understand where he was coming from. Right. The funeral memorial scene in a church has all these girls mm. giving eulogies, you know, sweet-smelling eulogies, lovely stuff. And when one of them gets up, her brother, Batama's brother, who was just flown in from Slovakia to identify the body and bring her back home, mm. screams, you killed her, you killed her. And he believed that they bullied her into committing suicide. He's not thought about their murdering her, that they bullied her, they picked on her, mm. they mocked her, they called her a witch, which she wasn't, of course. And so he is furious that they may have convinced her she was bad and evil and then committed mm. her own suicide because they rejected her. And she is hungering for friends. So now that's, that's where that scene comes from. Yeah. And, now let's and get back to my cool guys. We got Kirk and Mandy. So right. how does a detective, how do they figure out, and how many, how did they figure out what happened? How did they un- unravel all of this without telling who did it? So, yeah, right. So what they do is, um, as any good detectives do, they begin to interview all the people from the past who had known Lulu, known Batama, and question each one and see if there's anything that smells of a motive uh, or a, an inconsistency from what the other uh people they question their stories and uh, began to find cracks in their explanation uh, and and other clues that suggest there may have been mm. a conspiracy back then uh, and but we have to figure out who led the conspiracy and who may have struck the match that set Batama on fire that Halloween night so that's really how uh, well, that, yeah, we worked that out, yeah. It's, it's scary because when you get to the bottom and the last page of the book, you're going to say, oh, my God, it was staring yeah, me right. in your face, but it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. after after go, being married to um, the, to uh, Kirk, um, Olivia mm-hmm. becomes aware of somebody else, and she decides mm-hmm. to date Rizzo. And did she mm-hmm. have a brain freeze or something? Was she thinking? <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no, no brain freeze at all. I mean, she, you know, he, uh, Kirk fears it's going to lead to divorce court. Um, yeah, she needed that. She needed to have something other than living with a guy who she feared. Yeah, um, it would just you just fall into a funk again. And so their their baggage in this particular story is can we live with each other again under the same roof? And and then you find out that this guy Rizzo is is an SOB. He's a cheater. He is a, a narcissistic um, and cruel person um, without being you know a, a criminal. But he has 
his company has also been sued by people mm-hmm. who, because he starts a job and takes their takes their advance and never comes back and and, and, and finishes the, uh, the 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 add-on room or the new kitchen that they had uh, purchased from him. Um, so he has he, he's corrupt and um, and Olivia recognizes that once it's pointed out there. Yeah. So make it easier well, for her is, to return to, to Kirk, yeah. <laughs> that is, that's scary. And you wonder who's going to actually, if the person that did all of this is actually going to get jail time or something. I often wonder. Yeah. Because as, yeah. I, as I'm listening to the story and reading it, um, I know somebody mm-hmm. that uses this word all the time, and it gets me annoyed. It's called I'm Entitled. And all of these girls yeah. felt that they had entitlement issues, yeah. That and it didn't matter yeah. whether they killed somebody or whether they stole whatever mm-hmm. whatever you have right. I want and if I don't get it I'm going to do something to get it and that's a, there's a lot of, of that in, in teens today too yeah. so it, it, you did yeah. a lot of research into fires religious beliefs and witchcraft mm-hmm. and yeah. all together how did you link that into a powerful story I mean I've, I've heard kids walking in the street and looking at somebody and going you're this you're that just by looking at them they don't exactly use those yeah. colorful words they use worse words so how do you deal yeah. with that? Well, I mean, um, you make a determination what are the things they're mm. going to research that would add plot points to the novel, and mm. uh, everything from, as I mentioned earlier, poisons, from actually how fires spread, how people die mm. in fires, uh, how how uh, suspicion of outsiders is so rampant today. I mean, we have this. I mean, ever since all the problems in North Africa and, and immigrants coming into to European countries or people coming over the border from, from uh, Texas mm-hmm. and Arizona into America. You know, all the anti-immigrant stuff that we've been hearing in the last few years and all the stuff that's happening in the Middle East, turning everyone against both the Israelis and the Gazans. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the haves and the have-nots kind of thing that keeps on defining humanity in its worst way. So... Um, the research, you find out what those themes are that are familiar, but maybe have not been done specifically before in a in a whodunit novel, and, and that's what I had attempted to lace into this book, um, mostly prejudice. Yeah, so that comes in that way. But I picked I picked a non-standard ethnicity mm. in in Roma or Romani yeah. people, which I've not seen before. I mean, and but even though she is. Of Romani, she has a darker complexion because mm. Romani people eventually migrated from northern India back four or five centuries ago and spread throughout Eastern and Western Europe. So she looks different. She has, you know, a, a, a starkly black hair with with uh, braids in the sides of her head, as opposed to pigtails kind of thing. So she she looks foreign and different. That's a problem with this world today. If yeah, you don't look exactly the way they have you stereotyped, then you're different, then yeah. there must be something evil about you, or they yeah. don't want to yeah. know you. And yeah. that, that's I, I grew up in the South Bronx, so I didn't have the luxury mm-hmm. of growing up with just everybody. Everybody was different, different sure, colors, sure. Yeah. different nationalities, yeah. whatever. And my mother yeah. had one belief, and my father and I believed, give a person a chance until they hang themselves. And, you know, uh, you yeah, just do. Uh, you have to have an open-minded opinion. And I guess teaching yeah. in, a, in a tough school in the Bronx, I learned mm-hmm. everybody's – the kids thought I was a riot anyway. They thought I was, you know, the toughest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know what I was. Mm-hmm. They still don't know. They haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. <laughs> right, and right, you know right. what? It, that's, that's the point. 
So what happens to Richard, and what what will happen to both Mandy and, and Kirk? Are they going to be okay. you know partners again? Is there going to be a sequel? I hope. Okay, sure. There is a sequel. The sequel is done. It's called uh, Heat of the Moment. Uh, it, uh, I sent it recently to the publisher. It's sitting there. Um, we have not contracted it yet, but but Kirk and Mandy are back, and so is Olivia. And um, things are better with Kirk and, and, and Olivia. Um, the next issue between them is should we have another child? Uh, and, mm. um, yeah, and, and, and one, one attitude that Olivia has is that we can't replace our dead Megan. And Kirk says, look, we're not replacing Megan. We're giving dead Megan a sister or a brother. She says, I'm 42 years old. I'm too old. He says, but you keep in great shape. You're, 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 you're physically fit. Um, uh, Hillary Swank had, had twins at 49 uh, and on and on. So it, it, they, that's their bone of contention. Uh, but, the, you know, the baggage in a sense, as I said earlier. So that is what's going to, you know, be their particular issue in the book. And the uh, E of the Moment uh, opens up again, uh, as Hawk, most crime novels do, with a murder scene that Kirk and Mandy are investigating, and it's a bizarre one of a very conservative English professor who is murdered mm. um, in a very liberal institution, and there are five potential suspects, um, one for political reasons, one for academic reasons, one for personal reasons, one for uh, a combination, he, uh, a student he had just dropped out of the doctorate program. So we have several people who are have been gunning for this guy. And, again, you have red herrings and, and false leads and starts, and eventually at the end they find who the bad person is that left that body in the opening scene. Um, so at heat of the moment uh, should come out next year. Uh, and I'm a third way through the third novel. Uh, oh, good. doesn't have a title yet. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but... Uh, and that's, that's what keeps me going from day to day, getting back into that. But in a sense, it's, it's, a, it's less of a challenge because you have three or four characters in place, you know, Kirk, Mandy, Olivia, and the medical examiner, uh, mm-hmm. and a few other cops. But it's also a challenge because if you get down to book number seven, what then is the baggage that you have to deal with uh, between the, the main characters, Kirk and Olivia? So I'll, I'll work that out when I get down to, if I get down to book seven. But book three is, we got a, a nice, a nice, nice baggage to deal with there too. But book two is done, and hopefully it'll come out next year. That would be heat of the moment. Well, I hope I get it because I'll be disappointed if I don't know what happens next. You, you'll be the first to get it. <laughs> yeah, I said that to the author uh, J.M. Adams uh, two days ago when I read this uh, second term. God, that was scary, and it was written based on what happened in uh, 2021 on January 6th. And oh, I felt yeah, like I was yeah, living. Right. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, but this this yeah, really got me. And I'm saying, witchcraft is is definitely one of those topics that people, whatever, uh, prejudice, yeah. looking at pretty people, sure. and I don't yeah. understand why. Um, everybody is different, and people judge mm-hmm. like it's like judging a book by its cover. You don't know until you turn the pages inside what you're going to find. Right. 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 I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your yeah. your book it was really funny because Ocean View sent it way before mm-hmm. uh, way before you got it. <laughs> no. and I was like, 
And I just sat down and read it, and I said, okay, this is not coming out until October. Too bad. I think I got it in July, something like that. And right, I've got uh, a few more that are coming out next year. And I just read mm-hmm. one uh, called um, Rainbow Black. It's probably the saddest mm-hmm. book I've ever read, and it comes coming out in oh, March. Right. I, I just mm-hmm. get that. I was like, it, it just, out of, out of the blue, and I looked at the back, and I go, okay, i got to read this. Definitely. Without a gun of doubt. I've got to read this, yeah. yeah. So right, the, right. the topic, what would, would you hope? I think the, a lesson that people have to learn is to judge people after you get to know them, and just because their their color is different or their skin or they look different or you think mm-hmm. something, why don't people give people a second chance or even a first chance? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think there's an ingrained thing that is taught to them. It's not – I don't think it's natural. I mean, it, it, it even goes back into science fiction, the very – yeah. alien invasion encounters, I mean, it's always the other is dangerous and inferior. And that seems to be the defining characteristics of the other, dangerous and inferior. So uh, it doesn't seem to ever go away. I mean, that's, that's what, unfortunately, global geopolitics consists of, who's dangerous and who's inferior, and that's the other guy. So, um, But it, it seems to be a sad human trait that sometimes makes me feel embarrassed that I'm a human being. Yeah. It's even yeah. worse when yeah. people have people of um, in their families that have power and they, a kid will do the wrong thing. I read that. Um, where the boy's yeah. father was very powerful and he got away with mm-hmm. murder because of his father. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is wrong. Now, well, if you read the news, you'll know that, too. So where can everybody yeah. find out about you and your books? Okay, my website is GaryBraber.com, G-A-R-Y-B-R-A-B-E-R, GaryBraber.com. Uh, that has all that you need to know about me as a bio and as the, all the ten books and how you can order them. Hit the buttons at Amazon or Kobo or um, independent indie, indie stores. Um, and um, they can buy the book by just ordering it in bookstores. Hopefully it's in a lot of bookstores. Um, and they can get it in Audible. Um, and if you go to the Amazon page for Rumor of Evil, you'll find all sorts of options for purchasing the book. Um, and, uh, and like I said, any bookstore would have uh, – you can just order it if they don't have it on the shelves. Yeah. But GaryBraver.com is the, the good place to go if you want to learn more about me and my other novels. Well, that is fantastic. Are you going to be writing another one with Tess or anybody else? No. No. Be, uh, yeah, that was fun to do it with Tess. Uh, it was a one-of yeah. book, and it was fun. It worked. It got really good reviews. Uh, but she was in the middle of another Rizzoli and Isles, and I was in the middle of the follow-up to this book here. So uh, we decided that would be that one. And that was that was, that was great. I mean, it, it did very well, and uh, it got on list in, in the States as well as uh, in Europe. So um, it was it was fun. And she and I have known each other for 25 years, I think, and I, we talked to you last. And um, we respect each other's writing and had very similar backgrounds. And, similar genres, so it, it worked out. It worked out nicely. Um, and it was easy to do all in emails. <laughs> I write a chapter, she writes a chapter, and back and forth. So, yeah, it worked. Well, uh, she was the very first author I interviewed when I had my own network. I, in- I emailed oh, her. I, I was oh. like, oh, my God, I, am I really going to do this? I had just read of Azolian <laughs> Isles. And I'm saying right. I, was, I, had, I was on three different networks that were run by somebody else, and I decided yeah. it's better if I do it myself. I get it done my way. And I emailed sure. her, and I said, 
would you like to do an interview? I'm just starting. And she said, yes. I go, oh, my God, this is great. And she was on um, September 20th. Uh, she was on for Spy Coast, her new one, which is really good, right, too, right. if anybody hasn't right, read it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I just there are days I just brave it. So I said, okay, I'm going to get Gary Braver. And somehow <laughs> I actually got um, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child twice. And it's like, oh, yeah. oh my God. They don't. A lot of people won't interview with just anybody, and yeah, but yeah. I don't blindside people, and I give everybody the questions. But this has been fun, and if you, yeah, I don't yeah. know, do you do you do panels or not? Oh no. Do I do what? Panel shows. Oh yeah, I'm at a panel show uh, this evening. In fact, uh, through Titcom Books, which is on Cape Cod, I'll be in a panel with two other mystery writers and. And I'm doing another one next week. I've, I've given library talks. So, yeah, so I'm doing a lot of mm. that. But, yes, I've, I've done panels. Panels are fun. I enjoy panels. I come up with issues that nobody else wants to talk about. <laughs> no, we're going to okay. do one on age discrimination. We're going to do one on uh, substance abuse. And um, I, I've done them on how do you take a character that's normal and turn him into somebody evil. And I did one with yes. Vincent, Zandri, and a few others. Who is your most diabolical character, and how come <laughs> people get scared when they read another one? Yeah, I, right, I don't right, come up right, with normal right. things. It's fun. But, Gary, uh, that, thank that, you so that, much. A, thank you, friend. That was, uh, it sounds like a great, a great uh, panel, panel theme of, of, of making, scary, making ordinary people seem scary. I like that. I mean, I, I always love my villains. So that that you wouldn't have a you wouldn't have a novel if you didn't have a villain, and that gives the story a, a plot. Yeah. Well, then I'll have to get you on the next one when I do. Um, how, why do your most dangerous villain, and did you ever bring him back? That was like so cool. I, I, you never right, know what I'm right, going to do. Yeah. But everybody, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful outside. It's gorgeous. I don't know how how what the temperature is where you are, but it's been like minus twenty things over here. Oh my God! It's 65 and sunny. That's a heat wave, people. Seriously. It's, it's 70 degrees here in Boston. 70 degrees. It's gorgeous and it's sunny out too. Lovely. So everybody, have a great day. Stay safe and smile and say good morning to people. Have a great day. Thank you, Gary. And bye. Thank you, friend. Bye bye.